The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we welcome back, for the last time, David Forsyth from the Rock and Roll High School Minute. Hello. Glad to be here one more day. Thank you for surviving prison. It's been rough. So we have finally made it to Minute 15. And in this minute, it begins with helicopters just about to land inside the prison and ends with an empty escape pod. Yeah, this uh, much like um, yesterday's minute when you both said how I hope you like helicopters because that's the bulk of this minute. Well, in this minute, I hope you like guards running because I think about 40 seconds of the 60 seconds of this minute are just guards running. And it's a lot of them too, right? Like we only see two helicopters come down. And as we learned yesterday, the crew capacity was like nine yep. for these things, right? So, But there's definitely more than 18 dudes running at us. But, I mean, they sort of implied other helicopters, right? Because we see them coming from other angles where there are no helicopters in, in frame. So this is definitely, um, you know, a, there's some trickery going on here, some movie magic. So, But uh, I don't know. I, I'd say we, you know, at some, at some point you see over 30 dudes dressed in their SWAT gear with their black face shields down and their big backpacks and m16s yeah and there were what five or six helicopters flying towards manhattan in yesterday's minute so maybe maybe they could only land two helicopters in that spot and others landed a block away and they're all converging on this point or something Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah about five seconds into this minute uh we do see helicopter three um, the well eight as well actually the the two OCD helicopters are Sorry, again David, in frame. <laughs> it's all right. I, I, my OCD agrees with uh, them returning and landing. <laughs> you know, so that's good. If they take off, they've got to land. So. <laughs> I'm glad that they've achieved balance here. However, three is a little imbalanced because if you guys check out the tail. Uh, they painted these helicopters black, and you can see some camo bleeding through uh, as an oopsie uh, just as they land. I see it. Oh, well. Yep. That's not good for OCD. No, it is not. No. Uh, strangely, color doesn't affect it. Uh, I, w- I will r- adjust my comment from last minute slightly. I was talking about where these helicopters came from, and actually this one specifically was on loan from the Missouri National Guard. So that's... Uh, I presume it went back there, but that's uh, where its original home is. Now, finding out that we can rent them, though, that's a bit more appealing than the $400,000 purchase price. So. Right, right. I don't know if there's a, an Avis for helicopters, but that would be... I presume there is some type. Well, David, you wanted to, you thought it would be good to have on your commute. I wonder if you once you factor in weekends and vacation days and holidays, would it be cheaper to just rent this thing by the day... So you could commute every day with it and then not have to rent it on the days you're not working than just buying the whole thing. You might ultimately end up saving money by doing it that way. That's probably true. And since we know it does have the crew capacity of nine, I could, you know, carpool with seven other, eight other people. So let's go seven. Give me a little extra room to 
It's the it's the hip new thing to do. Because I'm sure there's listeners and myself included who does not have to pay tolls on bridges. Um, do you guys have a little bit of information as far as like bridge tolls in your particular geographic area? Uh huh. That's funny you should say that because as we record this about a week or two ago here in New York, the Verrazano Bridge, which is what connects Staten Island to Brooklyn and is literally the only way people who live in Staten Island can drive to any other part of New York City, just raise it, announced they're going to raise the tolls again, and it's going to be the most expensive bridge in the country. $19. <gasps> what? Yeah. Like, now, you, you only pay going one way. You pay when you enter Staten Island. You don't pay the toll when you leave Staten Island. But So it's $19 one way and then nothing the other way. But it is the most expensive bridge in America. Well, and they've been talking about doing the tolls both ways because I know on in both the tunnels, I think the toll is about fifteen dollars um, coming from New Jersey into into Manhattan. Um, and so, yeah, you just basically assume that there's a fifteen dollar cover charge minimum to get into to New York City. So, yeah, unless you get on one of the free bridges, if you if you're willing to deal with more traffic, there are, there are bridges that connect. Brooklyn and Queens with Manhattan that are free. There are bridges that connect the Bronx to Manhattan for free, but it means you're going to have a longer drive and you're dealing more traffic. Nowhere from Jersey, right? Everything from Jersey you have to pay. Yeah, even going into Philadelphia, you have to pay. So, like, it's it's just like uh, they're really trying to keep the New Jerseyans in place. So, oh my God. But so so I think so I think maybe the helicopter makes more sense now. And Manhattan does have helipads, so it can be done. Let's do it. Maybe it can be like tiny house living. You know, you can just like live in it as well. Yeah, you can just get like a hot pot, you know, and and be super crunchy with your helicopter and be super efficient. I wonder how much it costs to actually fuel one of those things. I I bet that they burn fuel really fast. I mean, you got to that rotor has to be spinning constantly. It's not like you're in a car, you stop at a red light and put the brakes on. It spins really fast. you got to generate all the, oh, I don't know anything about flight, the uplift or, you know, whatever to take off and stay in the air. Sorry, people who fly. I don't, I don't know anything about flying. <laughs> I'm, it's got to burn. You know, if, if, you know, if you do know what you're talking about, unlike the three of us, let us know in, in our Facebook page and uh, tell, tell us what the deal is with helicopters and Fuel and upkeep and all that stuff. Or you guys could come on my new podcast, Helicopter Minute. Are you guys going to have a reality show, Helicopter Living in New York? And you're just going to like raise your families out of the helicopter and commute and be making meals and stuff. Your wife's going to be like making like a chili on top of the rotor because it's super hot. And Hey, if you know a producer at E, I'm, uh, I'll pitch it. So this minute also, in addition to mostly guards running... This is our second minute, and we're only a minute 15, Molly. This is already our second minute where the complete minute has not one word of dialogue. Oh, my God. I figured I would keep track of this as we went through, and we've already got our second one. So th- this may end up being a-, a high count by the time we're done with this movie. Uh, Hauk says it all with his eyes in this movie, in this minute. You know, he's he's a, he's an intense guy. This is, I think this is where you start seeing where where his toughness comes from right like in the bunker in the headquarters he's he's not he doesn't doesn't give you much but that that look back over his shoulder with the gold earring and the and the clear cigarette bulge in his front pocket you know like he's it's uh he's he's showing his toughness he's out there the only one walking around without the gun and the helmet and the and the armor and everything you know he's he's taking charge and he's you know 
he's not ultimately not going to get it done, but he's he can handle himself there. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, this is a very extreme case. It's it's the president, but how often do you think the the USPF has to go in like this? How often is there something? I mean, the prison has been set up basically. Once you go in, you can't get out. The rules are the the prisoners just make their own world. You, I don't get the sense that this happens that often because I don't know what would really rise to the level where the USPF would give a shit enough to go in. But they, you know, the the way that they come in is certainly they they they're well rehearsed, they're well practiced. They they certainly are functioning as a unit that knows what they're doing and and that they've done it before. So I'm just trying to think of what is something else. How often would they have to go in? What's something else that could possibly happen that would make them go in? I mean, Hauk probably never goes in. I mean, he's probably only here for this specifically. Yeah, that's a good point. They do seem ready to pounce, but for what? I mean, they may just be drilling constantly for this sort of thing. But um, but yeah, the, uh, I, you're right. I, I can't imagine it sort of is antithetical to the the whole concept of the of the prison to 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 go in there and take care of things. You know, I can't imagine they're ever doing that. Yeah, I have to kind of wonder. To what degree, and you guys are going to totally laugh, I said, how humanitarian are they? Oh, not at all. You know, because I have to wonder, is there some type of, you know, if there was like a pathogen or something that would come through that would force some type of, you know, World Health Organization to have to drop in that would require some type of response or, you know, because on one hand, I'm like, well, if they blew up a couple of buildings, do they really give a shit? Because they're like, well, whatever, you know, you guys are just doing what you're doing in there. You know, as long as you keep your party in the inside, we're not going to, you know, come down and check things out. But it, it does make me wonder to what degree would a force ever have to drop in, like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't ever get the sense that they're like delivering any sort of supplies for people who, you know, have food issues and they're not they're not you know sending anything in for children if there are children born here there's no medical any sort of yeah so that'd be a good question it would have to be something sort of on the global plague level like you like you kind of laid out there that might um happen before they'd organize some sort of response or the president crashing into it whatever yeah i feel like if there was a global plague i honestly feel that they'd say screw it let them all die you know i don't think that i don't think that they would care i think they would look at it as all right well that'll take care of that and it means, you know, our overcrowding problem solved. We uh, we keep talking about Lee Van Cleef and, and his toughness, and um, we did this for Kurt Russell, so let's let's do this for Lee Van Cleef. Uh, David, we like to... Um, I like to call out the other actors, some of the other actors who were born in the same year as the actors that play a certain character, and let everybody imagine how would this movie be different if that actor instead was cast in this role. So this is something that I, I did it on Flash Gordon Minute. I, I borrowed it from the, the rulers of all Star Wars Minute. They did this a couple of times on their show, and I borrowed the concept from them. So here are some other actors born in 1925 when Lee Van Cleef was born. So how would this movie be different with the following people in the role of Hauk? Paul Newman, mm. who would have actually, I think, done a pretty good job. Yeah, we could say maybe unchanged. Yeah, uh, he, he he played tough guys. This guy did not play a tough guy. More of a more of a movie might have become a comedy. Jack Lemmon. Oh, weird. Another tough guy though, Rod Steiger. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could too. George Kennedy, who, if anyone doesn't know who that is, I know him best as Frank Drebin's sidekick in the Naked Gun movies. Oh, okay. 
but he had a long career before that too, though. Possibly the most absurd of all, Peter Sellers. <laughs> yeah, all right. I can see that being... Uh, uh, he's maybe a little too short for the warden. Yeah, I can see him being really sinister, though. I can totally see him doing that. Do you think that he, Do you think if Peter Sellers had been cast as how, would the movie-going audience have taken that seriously? Well, my response is Tom Cruise and Magnolia. I don't know if you've seen Magnolia. I have not. Okay. Yeah. Um, he plays, or I guess um, Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder would be another example if you've seen Tropic Thunder. Um, so you have somebody who you have a real strong perception about as an actor and then does something, you know, 180 degrees different, which you could be maybe say of Kurt Russell in this movie as well. Um, but I, I do like... You know, I, I bring Magnolia up because I feel like Tom Cruise played a role that, uh, I mean, he's like a, um, like a life coach, but he's a really uh, incendiary life coach uh, and very misogynistic. And, and so it's a, you know, he's not like, he's not a hero type, really. Uh, so without, you know, dropping lines, if, if you guys haven't seen Magnolia, you should just look it up and see if you can find a, 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 tra- a trailer or a clip of him. It's amazing. But I feel like Peter Sellers, just visually, I feel like he could, he's got enough like gravitas that he could play a tough guy and he could be a little smarmy and a little a little slick. And, and I think he could do it. I think it would have been very interesting. Yeah, I'm picturing him in some of the later minutes where he, uh, like interacting with, with Snake in the lab kind of thing before he sends him off into the prison. That, that could have been a pretty funny scene with Peter Sellers. He could have made it a little more... Um, I don't know the, the like your uh, old timey uh, you know tying a girl to the railroad tracks, twisting his mustache kind of villain. Totally, totally. How about Sammy Davis Jr.? Oh, <laughs> I mean it, it's hard to picture Sammy in a movie where he doesn't. <laughs> right, sing and that's dance. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> right, right. I don't know where that fits in this movie, but if he wants to, I'm, he's will. I'm willing to let him. Well, there is a scene later on with a Broadway show, so yeah, there you go. He probably could have fitted really well there. Uh, here's an actor that a little more obscure, but I want to mention him because I really like him in a couple of old-school Alfred Hitchcock movies. Farley Granger, who was in Rope and Strangers on a Train. Not not exactly a tough guy, though. And last one on the list, Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> another, another one who would have to sing and dance in the movie. Yeah, theoretically, right? So we get to the end of the minute, and Lee Van Cleef as Hawks discovers that the pod has survived. This sucker is really made out of some strong shit. <laughs> I mean, it's not only barely scratched, but it's in a perfect upright position. The seal is yeah. centered. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Otherwise, how would we know yes, it's the president's right. pod? It could have been anybody's pod. Yeah, Manhattan's just littered with red pods like that. I don't know if you know that. Oh, they're just making grills out of them. <laughs> or smokers. <laughs> I, oh, how cool would it be to have a smoker in your house that was designed to look like that? Oh, my God. Dude, dude, that is a retirement idea. You need to like cash out your 401k and make that happen. <laughs> Nerds everywhere will have delicious smoked meat out of that thing. It'll be amazing. Yeah, you could you could literally sell like eight or nine of those easily. That's sort of a joke. It's a little number, but you know. I got the joke. I got it. <laughs> okay, okay. My normal go-to for that line would be, like, you could literally sell dozens of those, but I don't think... <laughs> no, it's a hot red color, you know, if people are patriotic, you know? 
Fourth of July sales. I'm just saying. Maybe I've underestimated. It is interesting, though, this pretty much last shot, the last couple of seconds of this minute with the pod. It does look a lot smaller to me now looking at this. And, and I would maybe revise my earlier statement of like, yeah, you could totally fit a couple people in there. You know, like I think maybe this is a solo journey kind of pod. Well, this one certainly looks like it had a, a bear along for the ride on the inside. <laughs> Because um, the the interior is all torn up and scratched up, and clearly some uh, shenanigans have gone yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So the the door is open. There's nobody in there, and we'll we'll find out in another minute or two why there's nobody in there. But you're right. It looks like the control panels and everything that are on the door that we saw a couple of minutes ago, like the wires have all been pulled out and all shredded. So that. Could not have happened in the fall because then, I mean, the outside of the pod would be all screwed up also. So does that mean when the people who took the president took him out, they decide to just spend two minutes also just pulling wires out for no reason? Yeah, I mean, either that or he sort of wedged himself in there and they were, you know, had to had to sort of claw at him to extract him from the pod. I don't know. That that President Loomis, he sure is wily. <laughs> I don't know if this is relevant for these guys because I don't necessarily, I mean, they're crazy. So uh, I, I don't know if they have this capacity or not, but, you know, people are scrapping inside the island. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe this is like a Johnny Mnemonic kind of thing that there's some Henry Rollins character who's like, oh, sweet, like I can get some type of computer chips or technology off this thing and happens to be running with the crew and decides to, you know, shred it or dismantle it and take some parts, you know, for the road, maybe. Mm, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that too. I mean, they're definitely not devoid of, of all sort of um, electricity and electrical type things, as we'll see later. And you can you can actually see some electric lights in the distance in, in this uh, in this minute as, as well. So, yeah. I do have a question about some of these burning barrels and what you guys think about that. Is that like a community service thing to just provide some light? <laughs> or is that people are just being, you know, anarchistic and like, let's burn some shit because what else are we going to do here? I had always viewed those fires as caused by the crash. Oh. But you're right. It's, I mean, it's one, it's incredibly contained in one small little area. So I can't really, is it in a barrel? I can't really even tell what that fire is coming out of. Some are like some some. There's definitely some in a barrel, and the the portion where they go over to the to the pod, the wall right. that, that Hauk has to walk past is sort of on fire. So, I don't know. It. I mean, it. The barrel fires could just be like a maybe there's an excess of doo wop fans <laughs> need to practice in the prison. You have to meet there to rehearse. I guess I don't know. Yeah, the barrels definitely are deliberately set. Maybe I guess I guess the fire in the wall is probably because of the crash. Unless there's a barrel behind that wall that we just don't see. But I don't think that makes sense because the barrel's inside the walls of the building itself. So I don't think that somebody lit a barrel fire inside the building right before Pod crashed. Right, right. No, I think the fire that we're seeing here on the right of the frame, because it almost looks like there's some foam or something that's on fire to the right. I think you're right. I think this is a, a result of the crash. But earlier, there's there's flames, you know, barrel flames. And I was kind of curious about what what that was all about. And it could be um, could be sort of courtesy lightings from the crazies, sort of knowing that the troops are going to come in and leading them to where they want them to be. Because, they're you know, clearly they 
as you'll find out in a minute or two, you'll you'll see that they're they're waiting for them, right? That they have something something has gone on here, and uh, the people, the inhabitants, the the prisoners, the crazies, whatever we're calling them, are um, they're planning something. So I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's uh, like guiding them to where they want them to be. I can see that. David, what's your what's your history with this movie? Did you did you see it back when it came out? Have you have you watched it a lot over the years? I have watched it a lot over the years, and I was thinking about when I first saw it and I, I don't really recall it. Um, I think I didn't see it until after, um, LA had come out. So, um, so it's certainly something I knew about. I'm a, I'm a Carpenter fan and, um, you know, some of my favorite movies are, are Carpenter movies. Big Trouble in Little China is probably one of my, you know, top five movies of all time. And, you know, that's, uh, um, so sort of it, probably working out in some sort of weird set of circular motions from there. I probably saw, you know, went and hunted down a lot of the Carpenter movies. And I just, this is one I didn't get to in, until a little bit later. Um, so I, I definitely remember seeing this one before LA, but then I saw LA very close to that. So um, it was, you know, a little bit, a little bit later, but um, it's definitely one that has been on rotation for me. And it, it really isn't one of those ones that you stumble across on cable or something like that very often. I don't ever remember seeing it. So you, you really sort of have to make a, a concerted effort to, to view it, but it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely holds a, a, a warm spot in my heart. So like, like, like most Carpenter movies do. So I'm, I was just curious, since this is my, my last day here for the week, um, if either of you uh, are familiar with the comic DMZ. Mm-mm. No. It was a movie, or sorry, a comic put out by, by DC's Vertigo imprint, which is their um, sort of a adult-themed uh, comics, and written by a guy named Brian Wood and, and co-created with the, the artist um, Ricardo Bercelli. Uh, and so the, the basic synopsis of that book is that um, – there's been an uprising somewhere in the United States and there's been a, a modern civil war and uh, the, the war starts uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania and then moves up through New Jersey um, and sort of stalemates in Manhattan. The U.S. forces in the free states um, are fighting in Manhattan and the U.S. tries to evacuate Manhattan, kind of bungles that, um, but then at the same time the free states figure out they can't take the city uh, but then the war sort of stalemates there and and manhattan becomes this sealed off dmz and it has a lot of similar themes to it um in just this that manhattan has been abandoned um and not just not just abandoned but like deliberately secluded and left left alone there and sort of um the main character of it is a, a journalist who accidentally finds himself there longer than he intends to be, but then decides to stay. And, and that's sort of the conceit of a longer story about how you learn about how people live there and, and um, how they make their, their lives and sort of the political things that go on there. It's a, it's reminiscent. And I'm, I'm sure that if you read a few interviews with Brian Wood about it, he would mention at some point um, escape from New York. Uh, but it's um, particularly this scene where they're, coming in to find the pod um it reminded me a lot of that that comic just the sort of um you know dangerous areas uh that are held by different factions of you know abandonment right so um and just how, how torn up and everything is and yeah it's just interesting so i didn't i didn't know if you guys had, had read it or, or not but it, it seemed like an appropriate thing to bring up since i'm sort of a, a comics nerd and yeah we've talked we've talked about how the movie pretty much takes place in just the southern part of Manhattan 
and we don't see at any point what's going on in the rest of the city. I mean, we're in maybe we're covering only maybe the bottom third, bottom quarter of the island in this movie. And for all we know, the gang that we have as the antagonist in this movie and their leader, the Duke, for all we know, he only controls this one part of Manhattan. You know, he's called the Duke of New York, but that, that doesn't mean he's in charge of all of New York. There could be a whole other Duke that rules the northern tip, and there could be a whole separate society living on Roosevelt Island, and Central Park could be its own thing. So it, it it's a movie that really lends itself to a lot of what-if and extended universe type of things that I, I know there have been some Snake Plissken comic books over the years, but I don't think there's ever been any Manhattan prison comic books or novels over the years, and I, I think that that would be very interesting. So it sounds like this comic you're talking about is sort of riffing on that idea. Yeah, it definitely is, and it's uh, it's ended now. It, it had a maybe like a 10-year run, so there's a good good chunk of it out there, but it's over now. So if you, uh, if you feel the need to, to go catch up on it, it's you know collected uh, it's it's worth the read. I've I read the whole thing over over the course of its span, and it's uh, it's definitely, um, you know, just just like bits and pieces of this movie sort of echo some weird, scary things from our times. So, so does that uh, comic, even though it was made, you know, almost ten years ago now. So now let me tie uh, your podcast into this here. I I've never actually seen Rock and Roll High School, but I do know the Ramones are in it. How do you think the Ramones? would manage if the four of them, five of them, however many there are, I don't even know how many there are, were suddenly dropped into this prison. You know, that's easy because they are essentially the kings of New York, right? So they would they would be well revered and they would be taken care of. They would probably um, set up shop somewhere in the East Village and they would have people coming to bring tributes to them and they would probably play music to, to keep the keep the people at peace. Although um you know, maybe not because the Ramones all sort of hated each other. So, um, so they might split into four uh, separate warring factions. So there were only four Ramones at a time um, over the over the course of the band. I think there were six or seven of them, um, but there there were only four active ones at a time. So Molly and I have definitively stated that we are only doing this movie. We are not doing Escape from L.A. because the, we have no interest in doing that sequel. Will you be doing? Rock and Roll High School Part 2 with Corey Feldman. You mean Rock and Roll High School Forever? Um, no. No, we certainly will not. Got a strict no Corey <laughs> Rock and Roll High School minute, so it sort of cuts us off some good from, from some good entertainment, but it really saves you from a lot of bad <laughs> entertainment. Sadly, I have seen that one, even though I never saw the original. So yes, really? I'm a, little back, I'm a little backwards. You're living a backwards yeah, I'm a life. a little here, bit right? backwards. <laughs> I'm sorry, was this Corey Haim or Corey Feldman that's in this one? That is a Corey Feldman that special. Feldman, Feldman. Oh, yeah. okay. And cool. uh, it also has as the principal Larry Linville, who played Frank Burns on MASH. Oh. For all you MASH fans out there. An illustrious cast. I, <laughs> I have never seen Rock and Roll High School forever, so you're... <laughs> oh, Lord. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's... Let's get that. Let's let's get that. Out, let's get me out of this hole immediately here, uh, David. Thank you very much for joining us this week. It has been an awesome week. And speaking of rock and roll high school, why don't you tell us about your podcast? 
Sure. Uh, eventually, one of these days, maybe by the time this airs, you'll you'll find some content over at rockandrollhighschoolminute.com, uh, where we're going to provide the world's finest podcast covering the 1979 film Rock and Roll High School, one minute at a time. Uh, and you can join our Facebook group called Hey Pizza. Uh, just come find it there. If Even if you search for Hey Pizza and you find something else, it's probably going to be pretty good because it's probably going to be going to be about pizza. So, um, So just... Go search for it and join it, whatever it is. Um, hopefully it's our podcast. So, uh, But thanks to you guys. I, I really enjoyed being here. I really enjoy this movie. I really enjoy most of John Carpenter's uh, films, most. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here and talk about it. Sure. Thank you very much for joining us this week. So uh, we're on Facebook, too, if you want to chat with us about this movie. And if you want to chat about Rock and Roll High School Forever, maybe since uh, David will cover it. Maybe, maybe I'll talk about it in the Facebook group. You are the expert. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We're also on Twitter, NY Minute Pod. Make it easy on yourself. Subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. If you uh, feel so inclined, then rate and review us. And until next time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.
Well, you see, that's the day when they burn down the school. On this day, you can do anything you want to do. Really? Yeah. Hey, hey. Trust me. behavior is just an insult to Reagan High and to fine teachers like yourself who care about standards. Students, return to your classrooms immediately or you'll be severely punished. You're too soft on those delinquents.